Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California's Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Joshua. How are you doing, Dr. Parks? And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. How you doing, Dr. Parks? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, trademark intro. Trademark intro. Dreamy Joshua yeah. voice. <laughs> the views expressed on Let's Get Psyched there. are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, thank you for joining us. Number one, uh, we're going to talk about insight, insight in clinical work. I'm a psychologist. Uh, I, happen, I do a lot of therapy. I think a lot about insight and the role of insight. I have my own views. And uh, I'm really interested in hearing, uh, Joshua, you and Alan, uh, your views on insight and is it overrated? Is it useful? Like what kind of insight? There's lots of kinds of insight. Uh, right. So I mean, I, I'll, I'll get the ball, if I, can, if I may, I'm gonna just get Please. the ball rolling. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna throw a bomb into the fire, I guess, uh, <laughs> that I started very uh, psychodynamic, which, uh, you know, it has to do, psychodynamic is kind of an orientation where early childhood experiences affect you, uh, very much into kind of self-psychology, um, the role of, uh, of just, or just early formative experiences. So I would think that it's very important to identify those formative influences and then act on them and use that knowledge, that insight to make changes in your life. Now, I've started to get very burned out on that probably <laughs> three years in. This is my, this is why, because I felt like I and the client would come upon and develop and identify what I would call solid gold insights, like absolutely 100% this is what's going on in crystal clear ways. And then nothing, no important changes would happen. So the person just kept living like they were living, feeling like they were feeling, and having the relationships that they were having, so it didn't do anything. So that's how I got burned on, burned on it, and I changed. So I'm just curious. You, you're both, you know, on the on the earlier sides of your career. So how's it going with that? <laughs> how's it going? What's what's been the what's been your use of insight? Do you mark it as a goal or? Um. So so. To, to kind of follow with the autobiography a little, I grew up in a psychoanalytic household. So my dad's a psychoanalytic psychiatrist. Wow. Um, and at the age of like 13 or something, I decided that insight was like sort of the um, like the key to man's unlimited potential or something like that. And I started these notebooks that I called my uh, – life book and I, I basically had them be insight oriented <clears throat> notebooks where I would really examine myself often really really critically and I arrived uh, eventually I had this friend who said I, I told her you can change anything about me I always try to like change myself and work on myself you can change anything about me what would you want it to be and she said I want you to change that the fact that you're willing to change yourself for other people <laughs> for other people or just the fact you're willing to change yourself i think both bothered okay and 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 then i i, I i'm gonna bring this back to your intro about finding that and so i think this is th this episode and also i should we should 
I should at least give credit where it's due to my favorite podcast, the the Carlat podcast, um, which had an episode on insight and psychotherapy that I think really started the conversation <clears throat> that led to this episode. And Dr. Parks, your experience of having a golden insight and having that insight not necessarily translate into any uh, benefit was really borne out in um, a few of the articles that Carlat highlighted in their report. Well, surprise, surprise. No, I'm exaggerating. There was no surprise. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I, I, you know what? I did, see, I feel like this is this is my bias now. Thank you, Alan. This is my bias. My bias is that a lot of times clinicians go with the orientation that they themselves are practicing. Now, I'm no different than that because that does kind of mark my development as a person. I, I, I was very much into insight and, and I guess I still am, but I feel like that had limited impact on ch my changes as well as my clients' changes. But I, feel, I, but I don't, I'm not so cynical that it doesn't work. I feel like I, I, every once in a while I have clients that do get a lot of benefit from insights. They're very uh, action-oriented. This is how they make changes, and you possibly, you, you know, you possibly, Alan, could be one of those folks. It sounds like you are, and so for those folks, fine. You want to go in the insight-oriented direction. You've proven to it to me and to yourself that that this is how you make changes. Okay, I'm fine with that. So I go with that, and it's actually <laughs> a very enjoyable work. Actually, <laughs> it's very. See, this is, this is I'm going to even go even further. I feel like it's almost uh, an indulgent type of work sometimes. Indulgent. Yes. Because what a delicious word! It feels so word. good. It feels so good to have insights and just jointly to have insights in the in the room. And that's for people, why they call them aha moments. It feels yeah. good for the therapist. Feels good for the patient. Everyone's mm -hmm. happy. You feel like you're you're getting paid for a reason. That's right. Yeah. No. True. You feel really smart. <laughs> <laughs> and the the client feels like on top of the world. But okay. But I don't. In my opinion, I don't see the follow-up necessarily i almost feel like you know sometimes when you're working for insights it's like you're not going far enough it's like you you've made the goal uh not far enough down the road the goal is not the insight itself the goal is how to make changes that the client feels are positive and good and healthy and all that but i i i'm, I'm anxious to hear with <laughs> joshua josh oh, they're just I, sitting I, on the sidelines, yeah. just waiting to come in. Come yeah, in swinging. which of these do you want to smack down? <laughs> I, I hate to be a sort of fly in the ointment here, but um, he, here goes. I am skeptical, extraordinarily skeptical, of treatments that don't include insight. Um, so I, I think just let, let's get autobiographical a little bit here. I think I was one extremely skeptical of psychology at all most of my life um, and was very critical of it. Um, it was not until I entered the field of psychiatry that I even considered that psychology could be useful. So there was my own hubris involved there. Um, but when I first got introduced to the field of psychiatry, it was CBT this, CBT that, excuse me, cognitive behavioral therapy for listeners that haven't been exposed yet, um, which is ironically somewhat born out of psychoanalysis. Um, at some point, it was a bifurcation off of that, but it's 
in my opinion, tends to move the opposite direction of what classical Freudian psychoanalysis and then by extension psychodynamics and all of the rich developments in the field that have occurred there. CBT, I feel like, focuses on you know, managing automatic thoughts and then the behaviors that do so. And it can be extraordinarily effective for people, I think, because it says, here's a problem, let's look at it and find a solution. And I think there's a lot of data on CBT, but I am a little bit cynical in the fact that I think CBT's um, overwhelming like preponderance of data is because it's manualized, because it has a, uh, a beginning, middle, and end, and because you can attach money to that. You can attach like a monetization system to CBT. It's like, we'll introduce automatic thoughts. We'll do the teaching. We'll, you can even administer homework with CBT. And insurance companies, of course, love that because it's something that you can, you know, have a, you can have a definitive endpoint and a certain number of sessions that they'll reimburse for. And I think that has been to the overwhelming detriment to the field of mental health. Because I believe strongly that while insight alone is not sufficient for therapeutic change, it is, it's not necessary and sufficient, but it is necessary in order for someone to leave, lead a more like complete life. So you can manage your automatic thoughts, but where are those thoughts coming from? And do they connect to a more pervasive pattern within your life? that stems from maybe unconscious desires or maybe from familial issues or I feel like it's a very capitalistic way to look at mental health to say that it can be manualized like CBT. Sorry, am I ranting for just way too long here? <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to pause and well, let people I, hop in cuz I have yeah, more thoughts Alan, but it's too much. Alan, do you have a comment on that? I have hundreds of thousands <laughs> of comments. I, I, Go for Joshua it. said so eloquently so many things which I could not agree agree at all with. At all with? <laughs> oh, man. Let me say this. Oh, I've never this. disagreed with anything Joshua has said more than this one. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'm, I'm okay, sure. What, what, what is the, the, the pinnacle of your disagreement? <laughs> well, well, let's see if Dr. Parks wants to jump in. I can... Uh, I'll have my time. Oh, okay. You want to do that? Okay, fine. So uh, this is what I think. <laughs> I'm going to first say that um, I agree some. I agree with you on some points because in my take on the um, the outcome literature for um, psychotherapy outcomes, like you know what kind of gains people have, that you're right. Uh, insight based, uh, insight oriented psychodynamic um, psychotherapy is evidence based. It does help people. So. Um, so there's that, and so and in a lot of ways, it's not superior to cognitive behavioral work. Now, there seems to be that uh, there is a a superiority of cognitive behavioral interventions for anxiety, but other than that, you know, things like personality disorders, insight oriented, different different types of insight oriented uh, treatment do seem to work, and they've been proven to work. So, I I agree with you that it it can be a very helpful thing. Now. As far as the capitalistic, I, I you know I I agree with you that the, some of the the outcome research has been geared toward pharmaceutical uh, drug re, uh, work uh, uh, research, which is sixteen sessions. So yes, cognitive behavioral work is very manualized. It can fit into a sixteen session treatment book, and so yes, you're right. It's easier to get reimbursement for that. 
Is it, is it tied to the capitalist structure? <laughs> Sorry, is that too much editorial? Oh man, I I'm gonna I'm just gonna think about that. I just I just guess I'm I'm a little bit uh, naive on that a, a part of it. But I will say this: I'm gonna just say that cognitive and just continue to agree with you a little bit. Cognitive behavioral therapists, there's some who are really good, and there's some who are terrible. And how do I know this? <laughs> because I've seen videos that are supposed to be teaching videos, and I think, well, if I was in that room, I would not be helped by this. Because it's very much, here's what you do, step one, here's what you do, step two. And I feel like, uh, you know, where, where was, where's the buy-in? Especially if for a client that really is searching for answers, and if you just tell them, oh, here, do some relaxation techniques, or here, you know, uh, write down your thoughts and then you're going to go practice a, a new kind of thought that would really hit, hit that person the wrong way. It might hit, it might've hit me the wrong way when I was, uh, you know, in therapy. So I can, I can agree with you on a lot of these things, but I'm going to hold off on my serious disagreements until Alan says something. <laughs> okay. I have counterpoints ready. Oh, okay. Go so ahead. Go Alan, for it. What is it? I'll let you go first though. Cause maybe some of them will be summarily subsumed within, um, what you're about to say back home they used to call me the summarily subsumer <laughs> yeah <laughs> with right, the book of insights name. yeah <laughs> very <laughs> odd neighborhood alliteration okay hit me with it I'm okay ready. all right in no particular order um let's see so you know i think in cbt and and my you know my previous career did see I you know I did enough CBT to see a few different styles of it and my recent CBT supervision I think was was largely focused on um, externalization of voices and um, cost benefit and um, a lot of negative thought oriented cognitive approaches and I think. All of them insight necessarily and and sort of intrinsically comes along the way it's just not self-indulgent excessive insight it's just insight it's you can't challenge a negative thought without having creative insight we're asking the client to tell us okay this thought that you're too fat what does it do for you and then the client realizes oh maybe I hold this thought because by thinking I'm too fat, then I don't have to put myself on the market and look for a partner and then I'm keeping myself safe from potential sexual assault or um, by thinking I'm too fat, it motivates me to get healthier. And I mean, that's that we're, you know, we're every step of the way, we're asking the client to produce insight. It's just not, it doesn't go farther than is actionable. And I think what was seen in the, the studies that Carlat looked at was that insight without actionable um, insight that goes farther than what's actionable or that doesn't include paired emotion and paired action was found to be ineffective. That's point one. And I do think you're right that, you know, I mean, I, I share your kind of wistful nostalgia for and, and also like a kind of a spiritual belief in introspection and psychotherapy. And what you won't get from CBT is self-actualization. But self-actualization is a process that I think should come from time in the woods and, and meditation and love and reading and not be paid for. Um, as far as you mentioning homework, mm. homework is the tool of the therapist. And I think that's totally unfair to say that it's only for CBT. I mean, homework is the way 
to use the time of your patient. And like for me, particularly, I'm on inpatient now. I know that my patient can either sit in the hospital and resent the fact that they're on a hold against their will, or I can give them like 10 hours of homework for the until the next day and know that I'm going to be basically forcing them to use their time well. And I love that power. Um, and I don't think homework is exclusive to CBT. I'll be giving home. I mean, I was given bibliotherapy um, by my therapist when I was an undergrad and it was actually very insight oriented, but it, you know, I think home, every home, every therapist everywhere should always do homework. Um, yeah, well now, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We're talking about the role of insight in our clinical work. And there's some disagreements here. Alan, you were saying. <laughs> yeah, let me finish my summary <laughs> subsumption. <laughs> okay, last but not least, the market idea. So I also believe that, so first of all, I, I, this is funny because I'm having to take the role of it. The way Joshua painted it, I'm the uh, capitalist pig here, which I have very rarely <laughs> felt like I was taking that role. Do you like that I was able to pit you into that role? Um, yeah. This is very, me very... knowing you enough to get you over there. very good very good kung fu there so here's my counter right and and it it does sound a little capitalist piggish but um so there was an article that came out maybe 10 years ago by i believe a non-psychoanalyst it was a call to action to psychoanalysts saying hey guys study psychoanalysis and get it into the literature because you're falling behind and you know while there are a few kind of mri correlation studies here and there and there 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 are a lot of modern elements of psychoanalysis that are maybe no longer considered psychoanalytic that have been incorporated into other parts of therapy and into attachment theory and everything um for the most part psychoanalysis is now not in the modern literature and I don't think it's because of the manualization, which by the way, I think the manualization is excellent because therapy has been and continues to be the complete wild west in our country. And there's tons of people doing whatever they want and calling it whatever they want and billing for it. And, um, but, but if you look at the psycho psychoanalysis business model, which there is a business model, just cause it's not in a hospital doesn't mean there's not a business model. It's protectionist and it's exempt. It's they see themselves as medicine men who are too wise to have to be evidence based and exempt from everything else, from from having to justify themselves to insurance and the people who are going to psychoanalysis. I mean, you know, um, I, I I grew up upper middle class with some privilege and uh, I went to a fancy med school and I've only met two people in my life who've been wealthy enough to do psychoanalysis on a regular basis. Um, and, and for them, it was a self-actualization thing. It was a status symbol. Uh, it was fun. I love talking to them about it. I wished I could do it, but, and maybe I'm just jelly. Maybe that's where all of this is coming from. But, uh, my dad did psychoanalysis for the entire time that he was in analytic training. And I've always asked him like, so what did you get out of it? And he can never tell me a single thing. Um, we are, 
paying for therapy in our country. And that's a beautiful thing because medicine could have surpassed therapy and said, we don't need this anymore. We don't have medication. We have medications now. There's so much more evidence-based. But the CBT people fought for this to be evidence-based and that's incredible. And rather than seeing them as capitalist pigs, I think we have them to be thankful for that therapy is still even mainstream. And I think psychoanalysis, frankly, should be thankful to them because a lot of the ideas that people are excited about in psychoanalysis are popularized um, by their continuing to be useful in the CBT context where you can use ideas that were originally coined by psychoanalysis to actually get better instead of just being a really smart, sad person who knows all about yourself. And I conclude. Gonna sink your teeth into that one, Joshua. Oh, I just, my blood pressure is through the roof. This is, this is the controversial topics that we're finally getting at here in, in uh, Let's Get Psyched. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot of validity to, to what you're saying, for sure. Um, like most arguments, I'm, I worry that this will probably devolve into sort of a definitions issue, which, you know, if, if you're a Wittgensteinian, you'll probably argue that all, all arguments are just definitional. I think that my gripe that I have with CBT is that it does not afford enough space for insight. However, I do think that there have been a number of studies that have basically shown or strongly insinuated that the mechanism of therapeutic change subjectively for people is the strength of the therapeutic alliance. I think there's a number of studies on this. Wampold, I think, talked about it. Um, it was brought up in Winnicott, I believe, in some of his earlier work, that the relationship is most important for therapeutic change. Um, and probably what ferries some of that change, there's even, you know, um, Yalom points out that there's some great psychoanalysts who have pointed out that perhaps insight is not the mechanism of change, but change leads to insight. That, you know, the directionality of the nature between change and insight is not really set in stone, and there's still a lot of debate about that. That sounds very behavioral, by the way. So first it, there's the behavioral, and then and behavior, ooh, and then... Gotcha. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know if it's okay. the behavioral. I think it's what's going on inside. Is there already change that's moving? Are the pieces already sort of shifting so that insight can occur or is it that insight leads to what's an observable change in somebody's life i think that ultimately the relationship between the therapist and the patient is what's most important to curry any kind of change however my gripe is cbt does not place the majority of the focus on the relationship it it gives, like I said, it gives patients homework. It right. says, go home, right. think There's about a, your thoughts. The method, the technique, right, is right. the thing. Yeah, and it's and it's effective. There's been a lot of data that says, hey, this helps with you know people have thoughts or fears or anxieties about these things. This helps for somebody who just wants that. That's fine, but I don't think that that's what leads to like a more evolved person, somebody who can go deep and like really figure out what's going on that underlies perhaps many of the anxieties you know you can kind of figure out how you relate to other people i think relational 
relational therapy is really important. And I think people don't, I think that's being lost. And that the reason I call out this sort of capitalistic structure is that it consumes and manualizes and turns everything into a, let's do this for a goal. But what it doesn't focus on is the relationship. And I think the larger culture surrounding capitalism is one that sort of destroys community because it's competition-based. And then that ekes into all kinds of things. That's why I bring up the capitalistic kind of thing. There is a, I don't want to say competition in CBT, but there is a let's do this thing and fix it because it's a problem. Whereas, you know, if you know, a lot of people argue that happiness is not something that you can ever strive for. It's the byproduct of a life well lived. In much the same way, I think relational therapy generates change in people or psychodynamic or insight-based therapy generates change because it's not trying to get you to like, you're thinking about this thing wrong. You need to do something different. You can obviously afford yourself some change after you've like understood something or maybe you've had a corrective emotional experience as Alexander Franz points out, but yeah, you I, brought up a lot of really good points. Sorry, you know, that's too much. It, no, you did. You brought a lot of. Whereas, yes, uh, the mechanisms of change does seem to be a lot about the relationship and what they call extra therapeutic factors, like things that happen outside of therapy, like you got a job, you know, or you you got a divorce, or you know, you got some good relationship going, or something like that. You're right, and the actual technique is about fifteen percent is one study that I've seen. So you're right. So sometimes, the, the, but you know, on the on going to our main point of. How, uh, the role of insight in therapy, and this is an important thing. I think some of, one of the things you're saying is that, well, uh, lifelong change, deep, uh, life-changing forces that you're going to address in therapy, and it can have extremely impactful. Sometimes doesn't fit into this capitalist structure of pro- looking at problems, and you eliminate problems, and you get paid for that a certain number of sessions and that kind of thing. That right. may this might be better served with this kind of deep insight work with a really good clinician that it values the relationship when maybe CBT folks don't, or they value the method. Is that, is, is that a pretty okay summary? That's a good summary. I think you've, you pretty much distilled. And you know what? I, 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 now I have to um, kind of acknowledge that I, I do a little bit of a hybrid. Like I, I, I realize that some of the CBT methods that we will not be just swallowed, just whole. I do have to have a significant amount of relationship building, uh, a kind of justification insight into where it came from but I call it learning history <laughs> you call it uh, <laughs> psychic forces and insights about deep personality structures and I just call it learning history <laughs> you know about how they've had certain caregivers that you know did things repeatedly over and over and now they have a habit of doing it so that's how I call it but uh but yeah no I you make a lot of good points you make a lot of good points now I will say that I don't think that in psychoanalysis three times a week, I don't think they've proven that that number of sessions leads to that much more change. There's no dosing effect for psychoanalysis. I don't believe that they have shown that to be true. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't defend that. <laughs> I think that's a little self-indulgent. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a pretty good uh, capitalist structure there. I'm sure like, like you know, Alan was kind of hinting at that, you know, that's a lot of money to be made with that. Alan, did you? Uh, what amazing. are your comments on on what we were okay. talking? Well, so I agree with a lot of which. I mean, I agree with a, yeah. So, so you know, I think um, psychoanalysis is beautiful, and I think it has a great place in on my bookshelf, and in my conversations with friends, and also in my therapeutic practice um, as enriching points or as informing 
my angles. I mean, it's 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 necessary and it's helpful for being a good therapist in that it informs things and it's it's the root that a lot of what we do comes from and it's it flows in the blood of CBT and it flows in the blood of DBT and it flows in the blood of um, ACT. I don't know that it flows in the blood of like some of the more extreme CB. Like I don't know that it flows in the blood of teen. You're throwing around a lot of acronyms, Alan. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Okay, I'll finish with the the word stoop. So so Joshua mentioned. Um, okay, well so far this hasn't devolved into a Wittgensteinian debate as Joshua predicted. But I, I will say that I have a, I, I have a Wittgenstein tattoo on my back, so you know where I'll be on this one. So I think, uh, you know, you said that CBC doesn't have enough space for insight. Um, I agree with you. But the other thing is there's never enough time for anything in the therapy session. The, the, the therapeutic hour is a short hour. And um, I think there are – rapport building can be done in lots of different ways. And like you said, the therapeutic alliance is important. It's the most important. And – I think that that's pretty uncontested in the literature, but there's lots of ways to do it. And if you can do it by getting a few effective things in from the beginning, that's cool too. Um, and, you know, I think you're right that CBT doesn't focus on the relationship, but I do have to remind you the roots of your baby are the tabula rasa or the blank slate in which the... Uh, the therapist sits on a couch which the patient cannot see and comfortably asks right. the patient uh, very loaded and uh, emotionally kind of blank questions, void of warmth, doesn't uh, validate the patient, doesn't really give their thoughts, doesn't humanize themselves, doesn't allow anything to be known about them. And so... To say that CB, I mean, compared to that, I think CBT has a really winning, beautiful relationship. Okay, sure. <laughs> this is not 1904 in Austria. Okay, granted, it had a little bit of a rocky start, but I do think that there's much to be said for, sorry, my dog is barking, much to be said for the interpersonal relationship that's outside of just looking at thoughts and here's how you need to think different, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that happens. Sorry, Dr. Parks, go for it. No, I know. I'm just going to, it's we last 30 seconds. Go, Alan. Oh, I mean, I just, okay. So I, I think oh, Joshua makes a ton of good points. I think Joshua's going to be a fantastic therapist, whether it's he's, whichever approach he's using. But, and I think all, even the psychoanalysis these days uses some amounts of CBT and stuff, but um, it's I don't cognitive think behavioral Joshua's therapy, excellent. by the way. That's CBT. We keep saying that's cognitive behavioral oh, therapy. Yeah, sorry. I this is kind of wonky. This episode. Go ahead. I think Joshua's points were excellent. They were fun, but they didn't revive psychoanalysis into a, a place that can compete with CBT. <laughs> oh, so that, that we're gonna have Ooh, to have a part two to this because that's the end. Two, that's, that's all a, we have time for. A killing stroke, Alan. Put me in, <laughs> it put me in my corner. I think because you knew it was the last word. On Let's Get Psyched. We talked about the role of insight, and thank you to our co-hosts, uh, Dr. Uh, Alan Atkins and Dr. Joshua Poole. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at Get Psyched on KUCR at gmail.com. That's Get Psyched on KUCR at gmail.com. You can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fonks. A special thanks go out to him. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.